This week's episode is sponsored by Jagged Edge Productions and ITN Studios' Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2. Only in theaters, March 26th to March 28th. The suspenseful and thrilling sequel to last year's immense hit, Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey, amplifies the gore factor with ten times the number of kills to put fans both new and old at the edge of their seats. After Christopher Robin reveals their existence, Winnie the Pooh, Piglet, Tigger, and Owl land on the endangered species list as hard targets. Unwilling to hide in the shadows, the ultimate scream team embarks on a murderous rampage through the town of Ashdown to get their revenge on Christopher Robin, once and for all. So don't miss out, and mark your calendars to catch the limited engagement of Winnie the Pooh, Blood and Honey 2, only in theaters March 26th to March 28th. Tickets are available now. Good morning, afternoon, or evening, and welcome to the Bloody Disgusting Network. The following show is just horrifying. Beware. to horror queers we're talking about something very near and dear to our hearts and i'm joe and i'm trace and we are revisiting scream almost two years after our first discussion of it uh, in our in our well i was gonna say our pilot episode but i guess that was speed dating in our second episode <laughs> <laughs> indeed yeah so we have covered this on the main feed we have an audio commentary on it on the patreon and uh, yeah, we're doing it a third time, but folks, this is not going to be your grandma's rehash of Scream. We've got something a little bit more fun in store. Yes. So what we're doing is we are doing 25 reasons we love Scream. And yeah, at the risk of, um, uh, uh, I don't know, being a BuzzFeed listicle, <laughs> it's not going to be obvious. It's literally like we both watched this movie again and we were like, what are things that stood out to us as to what what do we remember from this movie? So it may be an inconsequential detail. It may be one line of dialogue. It may be a piece of score. We don't. Well, I know, but <laughs> I know my <laughs> stuff. So I don't know. I, it's going to be really fun. But, you know, Joe. Before we go into our list, why don't we talk about the number one reason this film has really had like a lasting impression on cinema, on, on mainstream audiences, on horror audiences, on queer audiences? Absolutely. Yeah. You and I haven't revealed our half of this list, so we've each picked 12. And then mm -hmm. we had to come to some kind of consensus about why this film is so meaningful and great. And we ended up coming down on two. Mm-hmm. I think they're probably pretty obvious to folks, so I'll talk about one. You can maybe talk about the other one. So the one that I think most people naturally gravitate to is this opening segment. So we've got Drew Barrymore. Mm -hmm. She's making popcorn. She gets a phone call. This scene has been parodied to death. Mm -hmm. Everybody knows it. Everybody can probably recite nearly all the dialogue. And I think that's a testament to how significant it has become in the horror lexicon. Like, we've talked about it before as an almost perfect horror short. Like, you could take this scene, remove it from the film entirely, and it would probably be one of the best shorts that we have yeah. ever seen. It's so funny because... I guess I've seen this movie so many times. I don't really find it scary anymore. But when right. you sit down and watch this opening scene, I mean, again, you have to give credit to Barrymore because she was supposed to play Sidney Prescott. And she was like, mm. it, whether it was because she was like, I don't really want to do a whole fucking film. Like, I just want to do the opening <laughs> scene. Or, or, but, 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 her, but what she has always said is like, she was like, oh, it would be so good if you mm -hmm. hired the quote unquote most famous person in the cast and killed them in the opening scene. And so right. wh whether that is the real reason or not, nevertheless, like it is a genius stroke of marketing of casting. Like it's mm -hmm. yes, th this scene stands the test of time. It is fucking fantastic. And it is genuinely scary. I mean, again, I would love to re relive this scene for the first time. 
Yeah. Actually, do you remember where you were? Like, what was your Scream story? Because I feel like we actually didn't cover that in our previous episodes. Mm, the problem for me was I, I knew going in because <laughs> ah. th- th- this was definitely a movie where um I was in eighth grade. My mom was out of town for a week. My dad rented me 10 R-rated movies and three of them right. were the Scream trilogy. But when I first heard heard about Scream, I was actually staying with my grandparents in Louisiana for like a week because that was what I did every summer. I, I would stay with them for a week. And when my parents came to pick us up, I, I mean, I was seven when this movie came out. Right. And my mom was so mad. She doesn't like horror movies very much. And she was like, oh my God, Boots, my dad Boots, um, got me to go <laughs> see this horror movie. He got me to go because Drew Barrymore was in it. And this woman dies in the first 10 minutes of the movie. And so... <laughs> I just remember my mom being so mad that she was essentially tricked into going to see a horror movie with Drew Barrymore only to watch her die 10 minutes into the movie. So she was basically Maureen in Scream 2 to Phil, where she's just like, oh my god, I can't believe you're making me watch this. I could be watching some Sandra Bullock shit. Yes, 100%. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I also had this spoiled for me because I think I may have told this story, but It wasn't really on my radar. I was working at the $2 movie theater, so like a revival theater. So I was seeing a lot of movies at the time. And my sister and her friends went and watched this. And then when I got home that night from working my movie shift, my sister basically said like, oh, yeah, we went to see this movie called Scream. Nobody's really talking about it because, of course, the movie nearly bombed in its first week Mm -hmm. and she then proceeded to say well you're never gonna see it so she then spoiled the whole fucking thing there's two killers drew barrymore dies in the beginning blah 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 and i was like cool whatever thanks for saving me the time and then the thing becomes a fucking runaway success and it's all anybody talks about for the next eight months (laughs) i will say i was i i I only had the drew barrymore thing killed from i really didn't know oh and i also had uh, rose mcgowan's death because whenever she was cast on charm there was a tv guy thing where it was like, who's replacing Shannon Doherty on Charm? Oh, it's Rose McGowan. You may know her as the girl who was crushed by a garage door in Scream. Uh, but but I didn't I, I didn't know the two killer reveal. So that was like when I first saw Scream, that was a genuine shock to me. Nice. Uh. But that and like I mean again, the overall meta-ness of it and how self-aware it was, I, I think that contributes to its lasting impact on audiences. But let's mm-hmm. talk about why maybe um us horror queers, us and all the queers out there in the world gravitate towards this film and while we can all latch on to the queen final girl sydney prescott right i don't think this is her moment i really do think scream (laughs) 2 is scream 2 is where she is like i I am reclaiming my power i'm a badass bitch right she doesn't get the crown in season one is what you're saying 100 percent. because who does get the crown is courtney cox as gail fucking weathers i mean Uh, our first season of the show joe our first year of the show we had one of her sound bites in in our opening theme gail weathers mm -hmm. is an icon and i fucking love her and if they kill her in scream 2022 i'm going to be very upset (laughs) yeah uh we also have her as our intro for most of 2021 yeah so yeah i mean to say that she is like a queer icon is almost underselling it i think in part because she embodies a brash sexually progressive Mm -hmm. woman who is unafraid of speaking her mind she is unapologetically ambitious and also You know, the candy hard exterior conceals an ooey gooey center where everything about her journey with Dewey is great throughout the films, but watching them fall in love and her kind of fighting the attraction to his Barney Pfeiffer-nish in this. Mm -hmm. Pfeiffish. Pfeiffishness. (laughs) You know what? We will deal with this in a couple of days where we do our annual bloopers episode. There you go. But yes, uh, just everything about the way Courtney Cox embodies this character. And this is our introduction to her, right? I didn't think Courtney Cox had this in her. Well, and that's on her. She chose, she wanted, she, I think she even campaigned for this role because she, she was like, she, she wanted to play a bitch. She did. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's two seasons into Friends at this time. She's, you know, this cute girl next door. And she'd done like, you know, a couple movies like Cocoon uh, 2 and, okay. <laughs> and Ace Ventura. Right. And, you know, this character, she's bitchy, she's opportunistic, she is quippy, but at the same time, yeah, like you said, she has this ooey-gooey heart in the center, and the film also is aware of that and Mm -hmm. gives her a moment at the end of this movie. Like, she could have been written off as, oh, she's just this fucking bitch reporter, whatever, but they give her this awesome, like, comeback at Billy Loomis. 
Mm-hmm. Kevin Williamson knew what character he had on his hands. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I think that dovetails nicely into the rest of our discussion. So, folks, as we said, we've each got 12. We haven't ranked these, so they're they're not like ascending or descending, or one is not better or worse than the other. Yeah. We haven't shared them with each other, so this is going to be a bit of a surprise, but... I'm fully expecting to talk about the script and the characters because that is one of Scream's greatest <laughs> assets is that these are films that care about making memorable characters and then the actors that get cast in them are really fucking memorable. I feel like our lists are going to be very different because mine are such inconsequential things. <laughs> okay. My, my list is in, is in sequential order in the order they happen in the film. Oh, okay. Well, in that case, why don't you start us off since it'll happen early on? So my first one is the hungry, <laughs> yeah, that Ghostface says to Drew Barrymore in the very first scene. Yes. The delivery of this line is so, I don't want to say bizarre. It's just very unique. And it's like this hungry, mm-hmm. like, I'm going to fucking murder you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's so... Yeah. I, I could, it just sticks in my head. And it's also very creepy. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, big props to Roger L. Jackson. Ghostface as a character design, I actually don't find super memorable apart from the white mask, but it's all about the voice to me. And we've talked before about yeah. the sexiness of Ghostface, but there's something captivating about the voice. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. And that, yeah, is one of them. Also, I mean, this isn't on my list, but the, no, you listen, you little bitch. Love it. <laughs> Ooh, that transition between soft and hard. Mm-hmm. But what's your next? Well, sorry, what's your first one, Joe? So my first one is also all about the delivery, and I'm going to give shout out. I don't know who this actress is, but Leonora Scafello is the cheerleader in the bathroom who talks shit about Sidney Prescott. Okay, so th- we do have bonus options, and I feel like this was in case we had matching ones, because this yes. bitch is on my list. Um, but continue your thought. Okay, so my thought is I'm going to give you a dramatic reading, and then I would like to hear your dramatic reading of this, because <laughs> it is literally all about the attitude that this actress imbues in this nothing character. <laughs> Think about it. Her mother's death leaves her disturbed and hostile in a cruel and inhumane world. She's delusional, where's God, etc. Completely suicidal. One day, she snaps. She wants to kill herself, but she realizes that teen suicide is out this year, and homicide is a much healthier therapeutic expression. <laughs> so just so you know so this is on my list and what i have is i have bathroom cheerleader maybe she's a slut just like just a mother like a mother and the thing with that line is because i have seen memes where it's like someone's like maybe it's maybelline and then it cuts to maybe she's a slut just like her mother. <laughs> <laughs> and i'm like the gays got it but the, the mispronunciation oh of homicide is really the nail on it that drives us home here because it is so <laughs> fucking funny um all right let, let me let, let me try this let me try this um okay 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 so um oh so say cut off some slack she watched her mom get butchered cut her some slack she watched her mom get butchered and it fucked her up royally <laughs> think about it her mother's death leaves her disturbed and hostile in a cruel and inhumane world she's delusional where's god etc completely suicidal one day she snaps she wants to kill herself but she realizes that teen suicide is out this year and homicide is a much healthier therapeutic expression <laughs> where do you get this shit ricky lake, ricky lake. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my next one is going back into the opening scene. I feel like we did discuss this in our episode on Scream way back when in 2019, but Mm -hmm. it is actually the chair jump scare when Drew Barrymore is hiding behind the TV and the chair is thrown through the glass window. Oh, yeah. I remember the first time I saw this. There's a moment because you see the shadow of the chair like cross before it actually smashes the glass. Mm -hmm. This jump scare got me. The first oh, time really? I saw this movie, 100% okay. got me. And it's, yeah, it, it's great. I mean, it's on par with Ghostface jumping out of the closet in the first, like, Sydney encounter. Mm. So Yeah, I think the reason it works so well here is you're expecting something to happen, but you think that we're going to have to see him. We don't just expect an inanimate object of furniture to come through this glass door. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. There's not even a sound cue associated with it. It's just the sound of the glass breaking, which I really appreciate. Yeah, yeah, because you hate a musical cue. Well, because it's the movie telling you, be scared, (laughs) jump out of your seat. Like, just use natural sound. It's fine. Oh, you know what? One of these days we're going to talk to somebody who does sounds for horror films and they will tell us maybe why they have to do it this way. Mm -hmm. But I agree with you. It's a great moment. Yeah. Okay, so I'm going to jump ahead to a Gail Weathers moment near the end of the film. It is when she discovers that Kenny, her cameraman, has been killed and he is on top of the van as she is trying to drive away. And you and I delighted in the revelation that neither one of us knew what the fuck Courtney Cox (laughs) says in this moment. (laughs) Get off my fucking windshield. Okay, God damn it, this is on my list too. So I'm pulling from two bonuses now. But no, I have on my notes because what I always thought she said, Oh God, Kenny, I'm sorry, but get off my fucking quijia. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) What's a quijia? (laughs) I remember in our episode, we were like, is that the model of the van? I had no fucking clue. But but honestly, it was validating for me. Because when I said that, when you said, oh my god, me too, I was like, oh my mm-hmm. god, hashtag me too. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. No, no, no. I'm not co-opting that problem. No, it <laughs> is. And, and what's so funny is people reached out to us and were like, I thought the same fucking thing. It totally, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't make any sense. It, it, she is not dictating properly. Or they just thought, you know what, this is such a good moment, even though that one word isn't quite clear, we don't want to do a second take, because it's good. Well, I think I think you hear the sound of the tire screeching over. I think that's the problem. But nevertheless, I'm not going to get into technicalities. But yes, the, it is such a good moment. And I'm really glad to know that we are not alone in A, not knowing what she is saying, and B, mm-hmm. loving what she is saying. Absolutely. Okay, so I am actually still in the opening scene for mine, but this is the end Okay, of it. okay. I mean, there's a reason we talked about it. No, I know, but, okay, but it's such a silly thing. So it is the score. So Marco Beltrami's score. Mm. It is when Drew Barrymore sees her parents driving through the road in the middle of the cornfields. Oh, yes. Honestly, it's kind of a goofy piece of score where it's like, but dum 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 <laughs> And I, honestly, I do think it sounds so out of place. And really? I don't think it's I don't think it's suspenseful. I think it's very goofy. But Oh, I disagree. I disagree <laughs> strongly. But it's so memorable to me. And I'm like, every time I'm like, oh, I'm waiting for this fucking car to pull up and but dum 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 Casey, baby. Yeah. <sighs> yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah, no, I I knew I could rely on you to bring in at least one piece of the score because Beltrami's score overall is really it's fantastic. Okay, so my third one is a Tatum moment. It was actually a toss-up between who has the more iconic deliveries in this film. Is it Gale mm-hmm. or is it Tatum? I'm a huge Tatum fan. I love Rose McGowan in this film. And one of the lines that I have actually said in my regular life a lot is, Mm. who am I? The beer wench? (laughs) I feel like there's someone on Twitter who follows me whose name is the beer wench, too. And I was like, ah, who says Uh... wench anymore? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's the funny thing. Like, we're going to talk more about Kevin Williamson, I think, as we go through this. But for me, some of this dialogue is just so unusual and also very memorable. Like, it sticks in your head because it doesn't sound like anybody else's dialogue. Yeah, this is the first we've, like, that that audiences are introduced to Kevin Williamson. So this was, Mm -hmm. I mean, if I was getting a pull quote from, like, I don't know, Fox TV on the screen poster... Fun, hip, and scary. (laughs) Always. And don't forget to include all of the young, attractive people in some kind of V that moves away from us. (laughs) Okay, I know people shit on that. I love it. Honestly, honestly, give me a 2022 slasher with that. Mm -hmm. They tried to do it with Scream 4 and people really shit on it, but I was like, no, this is what we want. This is what I want. Uh, It just brings me right back to the 90s. And yeah, it all started here. (laughs) all right so my next one is also a piece of score it's used twice in the film and it is when 
Ghostface is hexing in her home and she's running up the stairs to get to her door yes. and like, to use the closet door. It is mm-hmm. also used when Tatum is throwing beer bottles at Ghostface. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. But it's like, uh, it's just, this is, but dum 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 dum. Like, <laughs> it's not as gooey, but there's just something weird. Just these horns going off and it just, I don't know. It's such a distinctly memorable piece of score that A, they use it twice in the film. And mm-hmm. this is the piece that they use in Halloween H2O when they fire John Ottman. And they were like, well, let's bring in Beltrami's score from Scream. And this is what they right. use when Michael Myers is walking down the hallway to chase them out of the building. Yeah. So memorable. It gets used twice in a single film and then repurposed in another Kevin Williamson adjacent slasher. Yep. 100%. So Okay, my next one is another Tatum line, and this is another quote that I have said far too often in my regular life, despite the fact that it does not at all fit into regular person dialogue. So it is after Sydney has punched out Gail in the alleyway, and they mm. are back at Tatum's house, and they're sitting on their beds, and Tatum is replaying this whole scene, and she just goes, God, I loved it. I'll send you a copy. Bam! Bitch went down. Sid, super bitch. <laughs> yes, you're so cool. So um, I, I initially had this on my list. Then I moved it to bonus, and then I had to push it out because of other things. So yes, I'm uh-huh. glad that you said this because, yeah, bam, bitch went down. I'll send you a copy. Bam, bitch went down. Sid, super <laughs> bitch. Ugh, love it. Ah, <laughs> oh, so good. My next one would have been the bathroom cheerleader, so let me pick one for my bonuses. Um, okay. I am going to say... Matthew Lillard's tongue. Oh, okay. This, I mean, obviously when I saw this for the first time, I was not thinking. (laughs) Actually, Mm. it's funny enough. So whenever he does his tongue the first time, which I think is at the fountain, my dad was like, ooh, he'd make any girl happy. (laughs) Oh, wow. And you were like, or boys, dad, or boys. Well, I I don't think I knew what he was. I mean, I think I knew. Yeah, I knew what eating pussy was at the time. I don't know. But nevertheless, I was like, okay. But now when I watch it, I'm like, oh, my God, my hole just twitched. <laughs> oh, I think my, my sphincter just got a tiny bit excited. Uh, honestly, like, I know it'll never happen. But sitting on Matthew Lillard's face is like oh a bucket list idea. No, 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 no. I, I, I know it sounds like I'm being, like, really crude for crude sake. But no, literally, like... Could you imagine getting eaten out by that tongue? Um, I mean, I think it would be new and exciting pleasures. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, you're so basic. Anyway, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm really horny for Matthew Lillard's tongue. <laughs> there we go. Not the entire actor, just the length of that tongue. Just the tongue. That's all I need. <laughs> okay, uh, back to me. So I, my next pick is Gail Weathers, but it's not a line of dialogue. It's the iconic lime green suit. Mm-hmm. Mm. Okay, so sometimes it looks lime green. Sometimes uh-huh. it looks like a neon yellow highlighter. Yes, indeed. In fact, I actually feel like we could do one of the like white dress, blue dresses. Yeah. <laughs> folks let us know is it yellow or is it green we don't know i do feel like this film has an interesting color palette when it comes to some of the costuming i was re-watching the tatum death scene today and like she's wearing a psychedelic mini skirt and again a questionable lime green or fluorescent yellow tube not tube top but some kind of weird top it's like, it's like a sweater no i i almost put tatum's like cosmic spiral shirt on my list as well like skirt yeah. Um, I, yeah it it is so distinctive the color combination is very bizarre mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's yep. the night liz it's the 90s <laughs> indeed yep <laughs> so okay here's my first obvious one but my next one is the shot of Ghostface's reflection in henry winkler's eye before Ooh. we cut two schools out for the summer yeah, we hate the wine scenes, but I will say that is one of the good additions that they forced into this film. And honestly, it's so funny because watching it again, I was like, I mean, this must have been stunt casting at the time, right? To have Henry yes. Winkler play this role. But he Absolutely. plays it straight. And honestly, the scene when he confronts the boys and is like, he calls it a thieving, whoring generation. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but like, honestly, when he was like taking the scissors to their clothes, I was like, mm-hmm. oh my God, I would love to do that to some teenager. But like, you know, a shitty one. <laughs> yeah just the shitty ones yeah, but yeah, they deserve yeah. it because they are really shitty boys 
But no, Henry Winkler A is good in this movie. But yeah, that shot of the re- of Ghostface's reflection on his eye is just mm. really, really good. I do love things getting reflected in people's eyes. And yeah, this one's a banger. Yeah, for sure. Okay, my next one is another line delivery. It comes all the way at the end of the film. I feel like Matthew Lillard is giving so much from this performance, but I always remember when he is slumped over the counter mm-hmm. and it seems like all hope is lost for our villains and he just goes, my mom and dad are going to be so mad at me. Oh, dude, honestly, that was really good. <laughs> <laughs> I could be a Matthew Lillard impersonator. That was really good. <laughs> No, but honestly, no, that, that line, it, it is funny. It is so ridiculous in a scene that is not funny. No, but it works. It it works because you can see how fucking reprehensible and like stupid Stu is. Right. You're just like, oh, you have been either really misled by Billy or you are way stupider than we ever believed or maybe both. Honestly, and I'm not saying I want this. I'm not trying to manifest this. But mm-hmm. if we ever got like another Scream TV show, I would right. 100% watch. Oh, you want that failed Scream 3 spinoff idea? No, 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 It's a prequel of sorts where like we are seeing Billy Groom Stew to kill Molly. Oh, I see. Like I want that. I want to see how this relationship worked. Yeah, we did talk about that on Scream 3, where we hypothesized about the bridging between the Hollywood stuff with uh, yeah. Roman and them. I guess the problem is, is that then we would have to see all the horrible shit happening to Maureen, and I don't want the Maureen backstory, but I do agree. I would be interested to see, like, how how did this Billy and Stu thing come about? See, I would like the Maureen backstory. I'm not saying I want to see the rape. Or the murder, for that matter. But it's I actually wouldn't like... I wouldn't mind seeing Maureen and her family life. Maureen mm. being with Cotton. And I am someone who doesn't give a shit about prequels. Honestly, like, if you're going to get me to watch a prequel, like, it better be amazing. Right. But for some reason, I don't know why, this is a story that I would actually... I, I would really enjoy watching. I would love to see how this worked. Interesting. Okay. Okay. I mean, honestly, anything said in this universe, it's like, we are down. We have our money on the counter. Give us a ticket, please. Yeah, for sure. All right. So my next one is a a needle drop. Funnily enough, a song that I didn't even know what it was until about probably two years ago. And I finally figured out and I downloaded and I bought it. Okay. Whenever we cut to the what is essentially the start of the climax, when we first go to the party an hour into the movie, when there are still 50 (laughs) minutes left. Uh, My favorite. We get Bird Brain's Youth of America. Oh, yeah. As we see Kenny and Gail drive up in their van and Kenny drops a Cheetos bag on the ground. Mm hmm. I don't know. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> and it's such a fun way to open that scene. Like we're watching people approaching the party and then we pause for a beat and then we watch the van following them in. And you're just like, oh, Kenny, you don't even care about the environment. You're such a slob. <laughs> Wait, is this a famous song? It's not. No, but. Okay. Um, Do people know it? The band. Bird? I've never heard of Birdbrain in my life. Uh, You know what? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're not music people. We've said that repeatedly. It's fine. Okay, what's your next one? Okay, mine is a single line of dialogue, and it's the only time that David Arquette's Dewey is going to show up on my list. I like him. He's not the thing that stands out to me in these movies, mm-hmm. but I do love that moment. After Sydney gets the call when she's staying at Tatum's and she gets really upset and she puts the phone down and then Dewey picks it up and he just goes, hello. Oh, yes. Oh, my God. That's really good. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. Um, Yeah, I don't have Dewey on any of my things. So it's uh, I almost had. Nope. Didn't have it. Nope. Didn't have anything. Never had Dewey. <laughs> You're like, I almost. No, I really just did not. <laughs> Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. I initially had the, um, because it's from the commentary, whenever he's talking to the sheriff, and <laughs> he's licking an ice cream cone, and the sheriff is smoking a cigarette. Yes. Wes Craven told him, hey, every time he takes a drag from a cigarette, mm-hmm. lick the cone. And I so that's it. just like, that's all it is. And so I all, that was on my list initially. 
Okay, that's on my bonus list, and so I guess now okay. I don't have to worry about covering it. There you go. Okay. All right, my next one. I, okay, I almost didn't put this on because I was like, "Fuck, I'm gonna get in trouble for this." But okay, Rose McGowan's nipples—they <sighs> are. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> They're so prominent. Yes. My favorite result of this, and again, everyone we all know, right? It's when she opens the door to the garage and she is just there and like I mean mm-hmm. They are erect, yes. They are erect nipples, but there's this <laughs> a meme is going going around. It's been around forever. Where it's like, mm-hmm. how excited am I for X, like be it for Christmas or my birthday right. or whatever? And it's just a picture of Rose McGowan <laughs> with her nipples out. I don't know what they were thinking when they did this. Like, okay, it reminds me of Head Over Heels, that movie, whenever they're in the the elevator and they're like, no, come on. No, no, no. But they're like, turn them on to headlights and they they, they twist their nipples to get them hard. Mm. (laughs) And so I have this image of Rose McGowan, like right before Chris Craven calls action, where she's just like twisting her nipples (laughs) to like make them erect for this shot. Whereas I think of showgirls where they're doing the lineup and he goes, what's wrong with your nipples? How come they're not erect? Play with them a little bit. I'm erect. Why aren't you erect? Yep. 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 All of the above. Oh boy. Um, Okay. So my next one is also a Tatum, but clearly I fixated on dialogue because a lot of mine are dialogue, but I love the moment where Sydney is waiting for Tatum to come and pick her up because she is not safe in her house. And we don't even see Rose McGowan. We don't see Tatum. She's just on the phone and she's explaining that she may be a little bit late because she's going to swing by the video store and pick up a movie. She's thinking Tom Cruise in all the right moves. You know, if you pause just right, you can see his penis. Yeah. You're just like Tatum. I get that you're a horny high school girl, but also fucking pick up your friend because she's been attacked practice well no she hasn't been attacked yet she hasn't been attacked but she's in danger okay but not yet nevertheless nevertheless i agree with you i almost had this line this on my list too also all these years since i've seen scream and i've heard about Mm -hmm. all the right moves and tom cruise's penis i have never seen all the right moves i don't know what it's Mm -hmm. about and i will probably never watch all the right moves really you don't want to pause it just right to see if you can see his penis you know, no, not really. I mean, um, wow. if I knew Tom Cruise, I might be more inclined because it's like, you know, you always want to see what your friend's dicks looks like. But honestly, with, with Tom, oh, you don't, you, you don't? No, <laughs> we have talked about this before. You and I have very different interests in our friend's anatomy. That's, wait, that, uh, whatever. Okay, listeners, <laughs> if you ever want to know what your friends are like naked and I'm not alone in that, please let me know because I, it's not even a sexual thing. I'm just, I just want to see what they look like naked. I just want to see. Whatever. No. Um, <laughs> I, you're going to get plenty of people who are going to agree with you, but I'm just telling you you're weird. I, you know what? I will accept the weirdness. <laughs> yeah, because it gets you more dick. Um, yeah, What's your sure. next one? I'll go with that. Um, yeah. All right. So my next and th- you're going to roll your eyes because I, I tweeted about this and I know I've told you about it before. But whenever Tatum gets her head squished, mm-hmm. if you pause it at just the right time, uh-huh. you can see your penis. She looks like Michael Jackson, like, but like late in his life, Michael Jackson. And wow, you are like cruising for offensive picks here, man. I, mean, I thought you said cruising for a bruising. I was like, that's what my dad used to say before he spanked me. Um, so no, th- th- you can pause it at right at this moment like, right, when when her head gets good. It's a split second, but I mm-hmm. swear to God, she looks like Michael Jackson. And I thought I was alone in that, but I tweeted out a picture. And I had three people that were like, I thought I was the only one that thought that. And you know what? (laughs) Validation. Wow. Scream is really bringing people together. (laughs) All right. What's your next one? Okay. So mine is an amusing thing that the film can't be faulted for. It's just, it's a legacy piece. And it gets funnier the further we get away from it. But it's every time that they say the words cellular telephone. (gasps) Oh, that's a good one, Joe. (laughs) It's just like it earmarks the film in a very specific way in a similar vein to the number of repeated references to Sharon Stone. We're like, oh, people don't talk about Sharon Stone on the regular anymore. But back in 1996, we talked about cellular telephones and Sharon Stone all the time. Okay, wait, wait. Sharon's obviously basic instinct is 92. What Mm -hmm. did? Oh, Casino was probably like 95, huh? 
Yeah, I'm trying to think of when I think spheres after this, but like that wouldn't have that's made the popular consciousness. Sure. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, 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 that's 97 for sure. She has that that short haircut. Yes, indeed. I think it's just mostly like when you think of a woman with a lot of sexual agency in the 90s, you're probably thinking of, I mean, I'm assuming it's a reference to her character in Basic Instinct, even though the film is pretty far removed at that Wait, point. Did she not really have a stalker? Oh, I actually don't know. See, that I don't either, but I, I, I just assumed that Kevin Williamson, like she did, Kevin Williamson mm-hmm. was like, oh, that's a real life piece of pop culture trivia. I'm going to put that in the movie. I will say, I have also quoted at various points in my life when people are like, oh, are you not supposed to be here? Are you supposed to be somewhere else? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm supposed to be in New York covering the Sharon Stone stalker, but who knew? And they're <laughs> always knew? like, I don't know what you're talking about. Honestly, the who knew is a really good line delivery from Cox. <laughs> uh, okay. So, again, I have seen Scream. Mm-hmm. 50 plus times a lot sure. of times yes and watching it again this week i was like sydney's has a chase scene that yes. lasts for about 15 minutes in the end of this movie like Ghostface stabs billy she runs out of the house he corners in the house she jumps out a window she sees tatum's body she almost gets hit by gail she mm-hmm. runs to the van kenny's there she runs to the house blah 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 mm-hmm. like it is a long ass chase scene i'm sitting here like why don't we talk about this chase scene in the pantheon of, like, greatest horror chase scenes? And, you know, next to Sarah Michelle Gellar, from I Know You Did Last Summer. Right. It is because it's broken up. Like, the, yes. we, we, we have a shot of Dewey going in the house. We have Gail doing, like, get off my fucking quijia. But mm-hmm. the thing is, it is the same chase. So it while it may be a scene that is broken up with cut like cutaways to other characters... It is still the same chase scene. And I am like, you know what? Fuck it. This 15 minute long chase scene Mm -hmm. is a reason that I love this movie. Okay. Yeah. When I saw you posting that, I was definitely the person who thought, no, it's not really one. And then when I saw you Mm -hmm. elaborating on it at length, I was like, okay, he's making some valid points. I do think that the problem is that it's not presented as a single continuous chase scene. So it becomes harder for us to kind of reconcile that. But yeah, I mean, like she is on the run for the entire last act of this movie. Okay. And I'm not saying anyone has to go out and do this, but here's the thing. Splice together her Mm. scenes and remove the introductions to other characters, because I can promise you that will be an epic chase scene. Ah, Yes. This is an editing issue, right? Because the right. editor could have just done it. But we have too many characters to worry about. But exactly. I bet you if, you if you splice them together, you would have a really epic chasing that would rival Sarah Michelle Gellar's. But also I was like, well, maybe it's because she's the final girl and she doesn't die. So the chasing mm-hmm. doesn't lead to her death. Uh... I mean, when we talk about Scream 2 and the epic chasings in those, neither Gale nor Sydney dies in those. So I don't think it's a I don't think it's a condition that you have to die at the end of an epic chase scene. But uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, I, too, would love that. So, yeah, if somebody wants to do a little bit of a splicey cut job and send it to us, like, please do. And we will promote the fuck out of it. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so my next one is one that I know will not show up on your list because it is costume-based, and I know that you don't see costumes. Mm -hmm. Correct. So mine is Skeet Ulrich's ribbed white t-shirt. I thought you were going to go for the glittery ghost face costume, but yeah, continue. (laughs) (laughs) I do like the way that it catches the light, yes, but... There's something so classically all Americana about this. Like it's a white shirt and jeans. And of course it gets progressively more bloody as he first fakes it and then actually gets stabbed. But it reminds me of James Dean. It reminds me of like the kind of boy next door. Like whenever you talk about, oh, what do people look like when they're being casual, but still sexy? It's a white t-shirt and jeans. And I love that this one is a play on that because you give it a little bit of ribbing just to give it some texture. But it's so suggestive to me of why we should trust Billy and how the film knows that and uses it against us because he's actually the villain. No, I think that's totally fair. And also the James <laughs> Dean like, comparison. I don't understand, but sure. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, honestly, I, I hung up on the James Dean comparison because I agree with you and I had just never thought about that before. Mm, okay. So my last one is unfortunately the most obvious one. It is the two killers. Okay. I'm not saying it's the first time this has ever been done because I'm sure it's been done before. But the two killers 
is mm-hmm. ingenious because again the yep. whole time you're watching this movie you're like well it can't be that person because they're here in this setting and blah 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 yep and it's great it's great i remember the first time seeing it when billy was revealed i was like mm-hmm. oh that's kind of disappointing and then right. Stu walks around yeah and i was like holy fuck that is ingenious and yeah it's so funny because it, it set the stage for the sequels to where every time we're like, well, we're waiting for two killers. Like, that is just mm-hmm. what it is. And it, all of them, except for three, it is two killers. Yep. And I would argue in the sequels, it doesn't matter because it all works. It, it works for every single one of them. But sure. Yeah. It works here so well. And it's such a big surprise. And it really pulls the rug out from under you. Especially if you're like a super sooth who's like, well, I know who it is because it's this. Okay, mm-hmm. well, you know what? It may be who you think it is, but it's also this other person. Yeah, and it's a move that so many slasher films that followed copied, and it's also given, like, plenty of bizarre internet fodder. Like, when I was looking at clips of Scream on YouTube, the number one recommended video on the sidebar was Who Did Which Killings? Had over a million views. So many. And honestly, it's why I'm really excited for our Scream 4 episode, because that's what I mean... Unfortunately, you have to spend disbelief because Mm -hmm. one of the killers is noticeably shorter than the other. (laughs) (laughs) But but that's one where I'm excited. Like, okay, who did what kill? Like, it's so good. Oh, God. That's always my least favorite part of the Scream episodes is Ah! when you make me, like, guess slash when you tell me who you think it is. I'm like, okay, Oh, my God. It's fine. Okay. You mean it's fine. It's a fun little game. It's a party game. It's a fun little game. I'm just going to be like, it was Jill in platform heels the whole time. See, and the, here's the thing. I think Charlie did most of the kills in Scream 4. Probably. I think the only one yeah. she really did was her mother. But Sorry, spoiler alert for Scream 4, but moving on. Moving on. What's moving your on. last and one? And by Joe? the way, that was not your last one because I got you two bonus ones. So you still have one more and then a bonus. Oh, right. Because I skipped it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm good. Okay. So the last two are very broad, all encompassing facets. So my second last one is the fact that this film gives Wes Craven his third decade defining horror film after you can take your pick it's either last house on the left or the hills have eyes in the 70s and then a nightmare on elm street in the 80s and i just i love that wes craven changed horror every 10 years yeah i 100 percent agree i'm trying to what did he do in the 2000s there was cursed 2000s are a little bit not as good Yeah, no, yeah, you might 70s, 80s, 90s. You know what? Three decades, mm-hmm. that's a good mark. Yeah, pretty good. <laughs> okay, well, so then for my actual last one, I'm going to pick. You know what? I'll end in a Gale line. Guess I remember the safety that time. Bastard. <laughs> I love this delivery. Right. Again, this is Williamson knowing the way to go. Because you think Gale has gotten the final kill, but then he changes it and gives his final girl the killing blow. Right. Sydney kills both of them, actually. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but there is something so cathartic about Gale's, I guess around the same that time, bastard. Like, again, this is a side character that he mm-hmm. did not have to give this moment of a victory to. But he right. does. And who, in any other film, probably would have just died. Well, yes. I mean, because when they filmed this scene, Dewey was dead. And Mm -hmm. Gale was knocked out on a post somehow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's a couple of moments of logistics where you're just saying, oh, would that have knocked her out? Maybe, I guess. You know what? Who fucking cares? Let's just go with it. It's fine. It's totally fine. Um, So that may be a little anticlimactic for my final one, but um, I, I, I do love that line absolutely and you know what i'm excited to hear about your bonus picks as well so my last one is very similar to the one that i just delivered before this but it is the fact that arguably one if not the most important film in contemporary horror was written by an out gay man in kevin williamson you know what that's fair I I, I'm a little upset I didn't think to do that but you know you are correct I think just because the more I reflect on Scream and Scream as a franchise but specifically this first one it is so important but it's also so undeniably queer like 
it is just infused with queerness from the quippiness of the dialogue from obviously the killer reveal as we've talked about numerous times even the way that jamie kennedy is queer coded as randy who i'm surprised we've Mm. not talked about at all in this episode but that's fine yeah that's fine yeah it's just this movie is super fucking queer and it's kevin williamson pouring himself into his passion project and then it becomes the biggest thing in horror that we have seen in like forever and here's the thing i mean i feel like this is kevin out of all the screen films this is kevin williamson at his most unchanged like his least tampered with right that being said and this is no disrespect for the writers that wrote scream 2022 i would like to see a scream film written by kevin williamson that has not been tampered with by the wine scenes like <laughs> right like a, a completely original unaffected kevin williamson scream script right and i don't think we'll ever get it but no. nevertheless um it's still a pipe dream of mine where i'm like i just i would love to see what he would do right but yeah no i i agree the fact that we have an out gay man that pretty much pioneered uh i'm sorry that resuscitated a mm-hmm. dying genre in the yep. 90s. And, yeah. and and yeah, yes, it's not just Williamson. Craven contributed to this. The Weinsteins contributed to this. The mm-hmm. cast contributed to this. I mean, there's a lot of factors. But yeah. we would not be here without Kevin Williamson. Yeah, exactly. So. Okay, so hit me with your bonus round. I've got All a right. couple. You've got a couple. Let's do this rapid fire. First one is a line that I never heard until probably about five years ago, and it is when Dewey brings Gale into the party and Tatum says, take your media muff. Oh, (laughs) I love that. (laughs) Media muff. That's so good. Yes. Yep. It's spot on. Okay. Uh, My first bonus is Linda Blair's cameo where she says, Mm. the people want to know. The people have a right to know. Okay. I'm sure it's a gift somewhere, but literally when I type it into Twitter, like it never pops up. So I need someone to send me the, I mean, I can make it, but please someone send me the gift. <laughs> the people have a right to know. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. Because it's like, it's so applicable in so many different circumstances. And I love that Linda Blair gets a cameo in this. It's honestly, whenever someone like covertly tweets about their alt, oh my God, my alt account. And I'm like, well, just fucking tell us what it is, man. Exactly. Like, <laughs> the people have a right to know. Yes. Uh, all right. Next for me, um, Sydney's closet door. Uh, I have never <laughs> seen this used in a movie before, but the fact that one no. door locks the other when you open it up, it's so fucking awesome. It's it's a great, and, and that's in the commentary where, where Wes Craven is like, we were looking for a house that had this kind of door. And I was like, what God. the fuck? You found it. Right? The pipe dream, because why the fuck would you ever build a room this way? Yep. <laughs> okay, mine is the only audio cue that I picked out of this entire list, and it is the use of red right hand to set the mood. So I love oh, how yeah. it gets used as they're shutting all the doors, and then we get the reference to the town that dreaded sundown. You know, the fact that it gets recycled in subsequent films proves to me that it is such an important part of this film and the franchise. I agree with you, and we will talk about this in Scream 4, but my only big gripe with Scream 4 is that we do not have Red Right Hand in that movie. Right? Like, we better be fucking getting it in this new one. I, they have to. Um, okay, my <laughs> next one's a cheat, because I'm using two quotes, but I'm just going to do it. One, looks like you fingered the wrong guy. Again! Mm-hmm. There's something about saying that you fingered... I, I, know, what the, <laughs> I know what it literally means, but yes. all I can think about is Nev Campbell sticking her finger up Skeet Ulrich's butthole. So, oh. there's that. Okay. And Thank you for that. I also love... And this is also my dad, because my dad thought this is the funniest thing in the world. Whenever she calls Billy at the end and she's like, you gotta find me first, you pansy-ass mama's boy! <laughs> <laughs> And I do love that that also then comes back in the second film, right? When yes! Randy describes Billy and he's like, yeah, he was a homo-repressed mama's boy. He's a pussy whip, pussy-ass wet rag. <laughs> yeah, there are some really good insults in the Scream franchise and in this first film. 100%. It's called tact, you fuck rag. Fuck rag. What a weird Such insult. a weird phrase. <laughs> uh, okay. Right. Are you in your last one? I'm on my last one, yeah. Cool. And it's it's a weird one. It's not one I would have picked to have ended on, but I think it's a great visual moment because it was in all of the trailers. It's the moment where Sydney is hanging onto the window and then Ghostface grabs her and she falls through 
thin air for seemingly forever and then lands on Stu's boat. No, but you know what? Though? That's a really good jump scare, though, because that shot, because she's just hanging off of the windowsill. Mm-hmm. And screaming for help. Yep. It is accompanied by a music cue, but... <laughs> You'll allow it. <laughs> it is a fa- it, it, It's a fact that it works. Yes. It, it's kind of a... It's not a wide shot, but it's far enough out where you're like, okay, we're not like cramped in the space with her. But you, the second you see his hand come out and grab her, it is like, mm-hmm. let go, bitch! And she does. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thankfully she does. All right, my last and final one is the girl behind Randy in the video store who just looks at him <laughs> and shakes her head disapprovingly when he says, there's always some stupid bullshit reason to kill your girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there's a lot of great extras kicking around this movie. My favorite is the girl who asks about... Uh, the werewolf movie with Ichi's mom in it? Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> the howling. <laughs> well that that's the problem i was like yeah it's the howling and then i'm like no that's not the joke that's not the line <laughs> again the, we haven't talked about randy but the whole thing is like a lot of horror fans see themselves in randy understandably mm-hmm. so sure the issue is that randy also embodies a lot of incel culture <laughs> yeah he's one of those elements that hasn't aged quite as well which is no fault on jamie kennedy because he is killing it as this character and i I think that's the area I continue to focus on when I watch the first two films is that he still connects to me. It's just not the creepy, insidious side of him. Right. No, 100% for sure. But yeah, I mean, y'all, that is 25 and then some reasons that we love Scream. Gosh, 25 years, Trace. It's kind of (laughs) wild. And three times, once a year talking about this movie. I guess so. Yeah, we just can't stop fucking talking about this movie. <laughs> so everyone, we hope you enjoyed this special release, because uh, this is a Monday, which is not normally our day for dropping off episodes. But, you know, it's the anniversary of Scream, so what the fuck? Yeah, we couldn't pass it up. That being said, though, please, please keep your podcatchers in uh, tune. Uh, sure, yeah. <laughs> because in two days, we will have a new episode dropping, and it's not going to be a regular episode. We're not going to be covering a movie, per se, but we will be doing a 2021 uh, year roundup, as well as a blooper reel. And let me tell y'all, I have listened to all these bloopers, and they are delightful. So if you want to hear us make fools of ourselves, um, tune in on Wednesday. Indeed. And just for clarification, we're not doing a roundup of like all the films that we really enjoyed this year. No. Bitches, you got to pay for that on the Patreon. That's going to be the first episode back in January when we're doing the Hereditaries. 100%. No, we're going to be talking about ourselves um, as a roundup. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, we're going to talk about the conversations we really enjoyed this year. Uh, give a big shout out to all of our guests and a couple of other fun things. So if you like to get a glimpse behind how we orchestrate everything to do with the pod and yes, those fucking bloopers tune in on Wednesday. Agreed. But until then, I think we can cross out 25 reasons we love Scream. And cross out horror queers. Thank you.